It's gonna be scary. Not for us. All engine running. Lift off. on Thompson steps right, shoots for the win of three. He got it. Say my first rodeo. To the basket, turns Schroeder around. Russell Westbrook house the three and the lead. You betcha. Covington biggest shot of the game and he hits it. The corner, PJ Tucker. Time to you know, accomplish something together that we haven't accomplished before. We both understand that we have one common goal, and that's to win a championship. So <laughs> let's get it. Your Houston Rockets improved to three and one off the back of a 113-97 win against the LA Lakers in the Disney bubble. What is up? And welcome to another episode of Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin. You can catch me on Twitter at JT Gatlin. And of course, our show is also available on Twitter at Locked On Rockets. And if you appreciate what we do here at Locked On Rockets, do me a huge favor. Hit the subscribe button, drop a review, leave us some stars. I would sincerely appreciate it. Rockets beat the Lakers, 113.97. In a game that LeBron James did not play, Russell Westbrook did not play, Eric Gordon still not playing in the games, Alex Caruso did not play, lots of of missing guys in this game. But largely, you know, two teams missing, one team missing its second best and third best player, and then one team missing its best player, kind of offsets just a little bit. James Harden had himself one hell of a night, 39 points, 8 rebounds, 12 assists, 3 steals, 1 block. He did post a mighty 10 turnovers, so he had a triple-double, but not the good kind. He shot 11 of 19 from the floor, 12 of 12 from the charity stripe, 5 of 10 from downtown. And look, the 10 turnovers by Harden, you know, there were there were some points where he had some sloppy passes, was a little lackadaisical. The Lakers were doing a good job trapping him when they decided to start utilizing the double teams. I'm not worried about the 10 turnovers. You know, he was out there without a second ball handler for the majority of the game. You know, the starting lineup with Ben McLemore in place of Russell Westbrook, there's not a second ball handler in that lineup. The only guy that can, act, you know, like actually dribble the basketball without coughing it up almost immediately is James Harden. So as soon as the Lakers put almost any amount of pressure on him, you know, with any double teams or anything like that, he had to dish the ball to somebody else. And if that wasn't an open look, then it, it resulted in a few dribbles here, you know, a picked up dribble there. And then suddenly, you know, Harden having to try and shake his man to get the ball back and make something happen. And largely he was able to do that for the majority of the evening. You know, this was a this was a game that the Rockets probably were expected to win with LeBron James sitting down and the fact that they weren't going to really run Anthony Davis into the ground trying to win this game. Look, you know, I called it going into it. The Lakers were going to use this game to, you know, potentially get some looks at how to defend small ball, how they want to game plan against this as a potential playoff preview. And they it doesn't even feel like they really did that in this one. You know, the, the performance by Anthony Davis was so subpar as the number one option with LeBron James sitting out. Look, Davis had 17 points to finish the game, had 12 rebounds, only shot the ball eight times. Now, he did go to the free throw line, you know, a pretty decent. He, he had nine free throws. So, you know, he was being aggressive, but largely he did not have the game that he had all the way back February 6th against the Rockets in a game that the Lakers ultimately did lose, a game where LeBron did not have one of his better games against the Houston Rockets. But 
in this one, I, I really expected AD to actually, I don't know, dominate a little bit because he's constantly talked about as one of the most dominant players in the league. People constantly try to tout him as a top five player, even over that of James Harden. And yes, this is a game where the Lakers have literally no reason to play for it. But even then, you go out there with maybe a little bit more a sense of pride to want to play a little bit better, I think, maybe from Davis. But maybe I'm reading a little bit too much into it. In addition to that, P.J. Tucker had some excellent defense on Anthony Davis at points throughout this game. You know, drew a couple charges, you know, just really phenomenal defense from Tucker, you know, who was a plus 17 for the Rockets, who had a, you know, a really, uh, again, just a quiet night, like stat line wise for Tucker, six points, six rebounds, couple of assists, couple steals, you know, had some drawn charges, but just everywhere defensively. I mean, I'm pretty sure at one point, you know, in this game, he defended like multiple positions, you know, on, on, separate possessions, just, you know, cycling through different guys, you know, out on the perimeter here, then down on the post here. And what else do we come to expect from PJ Tucker? He is everywhere on the defensive side of the basketball. He is the anchor of this Houston Rockets defense. And that's what we've come to expect. And that's what we get on a nightly basis from him. Other Rockets that, you know, kind of stood out in this game, Ben McLemore, who replaced Russell Westbrook in the starting lineup, 20 points on five of 10, three point shooting seven of 13 overall hit a free throw, had a few rebounds, had an assist, had a steal, had a block, no turnovers, did use almost every single one of his fouls, had five fouls in this one. And, you know, look, he was whistled for a foul in like the very first possession of the game. And I was worried about it thinking, oh, here goes Benny Mac and threes, you know, going to continue the uptick in the foul trend for the Rockets. But, you know, didn't it wasn't a negative, you know, and he had some possessions defensively where he was active. He was, you know, contesting shots, you know, swiping at the ball, I obviously picked up, you know, his five fouls and used them accordingly. But, you know, really. McLemore's defense has been a huge step up. And again, I I am the first one usually to jump on Ben McLemore and say, look, his defense is bad, but his defense has been at least passable, if not good at some points here in the bubble. And that is a huge improvement because if you could partner his 40% three-point shooting with at least passable to slightly above average defense, he will absolutely deserve playing time, even once the Rockets have their entire you know swath of players back with Russell Westbrook and Eric Gordon missing time currently. Once those guys are back healthy in the rotation, McLemore should still be getting minutes if he's continuing to play this well defensively. And I really think he benefited from the, you know, the training camp leading back into the bubble, getting more comfortable with the defense and just trying harder, just being more, you know, he's still unaware at times. He still kind of loses himself defensively, but still really, you know, noticeable improvement on that end of the court from him to where he's not just, oh, he's playing defense. He's going to get burned. And then Jeff Green. Jeff Green ha- continues to impress. A little bit less efficient in this one than we probably would have liked to see out of him. 6 of 13 shooting, just 3 of 10 from behind the arc. So a bit below his you know staggering 40% shooting average. Uh, but 4 rebounds, 3 assists, couple steals. Uh, 15 points on the evening, had some really great attacks where, you know, without Russell Westbrook in the mix in this one, Jeff Green was the kind of like the guy who was sitting at the free throw line as kind of like the zone buster for the uh, for the James Harden double teams where James needed to, you know, pitch the pass down with that, that kind of low uh, bounce pass angle or, you know, floating it over the top of the two defenders to get to that man who's positioned right at the free throw line, who is usually Russell Westbrook to then attack you know, 4v3 as the two guys are all the way out near the half court line, double teaming James Harden. And tonight it was, it was Jeff Green. 
and he did a great job facilitating, finding the shooters in the corners, you know, which would lead to, you know, another pass or like hockey assists for Jeff Green, or there were multiple possessions, three that I can count off the top of my head, two, the first two times ended in dunks, and the third one ended in a, you know, kind of a scoop layup where he just turned and attacked the paint immediately. Didn't even look, you know, didn't, waste a second trying to see who was open, just chose to turn on his heel and attack the rim, which was keeping the defense honest because they didn't know if they needed to commit to him or commit out, you know, rotate out to the shooters. And sometimes with this Rockets offense, they can be a little bit too focused on getting the shots they want from three, the quote that we hear all the time from Mike D'Antoni, we got the shots that we want, they just didn't fall. Sometimes they can focus a bit on that too much and forget about the other part of Mori Ball, which is layups and dunks. And Jeff Green made sure not to forget about that part of his game as he did hit two dunks and a single layup in this one. So coming up, I want to keep talking about this game, talking about some of the other finer points from it coming up in just a quick second. But first, did you know that you can start your morning with news that matters in just a brief 10 minutes from Axios Today? So host Nyla Boodoo and a team of award-winning journalists will actually bring you the latest analysis and insight into the trends shaping our world into this new little 10-minute podcast that Axios Today is hosting. And look, I've been been subscribed to the Axios Sports Newsletter for a while now. It's where I get some really great tidbits of news Monday through Friday. Now they're doing this brief little 10-minute podcast. Please go check it out. It is so informative. I've, I've incorporated that into my morning routine, specifically when I'm just, you know, brushing my teeth in the morning because it's such a short, sweet, to-the-point little podcast. Please check it out. I highly recommend it. And we are back at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, discussing the Rockets 113-97 W over the LA Lakers. Now, y'all want to talk about some math? Let's talk about some math. I, I normally don't like math, but I like this kind of math. The Rockets shot 21 of 57 from behind the arc for a slightly above average 36.8%. We'll take that. That's some pretty good numbers right there. The Lakers, on the other hand, shot a just... I can't say a abysmal, that's incorrect grammar, an abysmal two of 19 from behind the arc for a lowly 10.5%. The Lakers' offensive struggles continue as they are dead last in the Disney bubble in offensive rating. And this, you know, this is, these numbers, the dead last was headed into this game. I can only imagine that that number craters even further now, but that that dead last rating includes the first four bubble games in which they did have LeBron James playing. So there's no excuse. It's not like, oh, LeBron missed the entire bubble. That's why the offense isn't. No, the Lakers have largely struggled in the bubble offensively. And there was, you know, that, that trend continued in this game. So the Rockets were, hang on. So that's 19 times three gives us 30 plus three times nine, 27. Plus 57 from behind the arc? Like, what kind of... That, that is a an insane advantage from behind the arc. And look, they won the game by 16. Yes, the game was a lot closer, you know, in certain aspects than you would want it to be given the inherent advantage and math from behind the three-point line. But that being said, the Lakers were still getting their fair share of looks inside the paint. Look, the Lakers posted 58 points in the paint. Um, they were also forcing a decent bit of turnovers. I, you know, I mentioned the 10 James Harden turnovers earlier. The Lakers forced 20 turnovers by the Houston Rockets, of which they scored 17 points off of those 20 turnovers. The Rockets, we've talked about this math before, how they
they have to force turnovers for the opposing team, which then lead to you know easy easy transition opportunities or easy points to create for themselves, uh, even if they don't come you know in transition. The Rockets forced 25 Lakers turnovers to the tune of 36 points scored off those turnovers. So that plays into what we've kind of come to know as the Rockets' win conditions of you know forcing a lot of turnovers. Yes, they're going to get beat on the boards. Surprisingly, in this one, they didn't get beat like super ugly on the boards. It wasn't a complete domination by the Lakers. Uh, in fact, the Rockets, they they grabbed 34 rebounds total. The Lakers grabbed 49 rebounds total. So only a 15, you know, only minus 15 in the rebounding category, which is different for the Rockets. They, they've been largely getting out-rebounded usually in the 20 to 30 range so far in the bubble. So it's nice to see them not get as destroyed on the boards in this one. Now, an area that we absolutely have to talk about is the Rockets' defense. And who else other than P.J. Tucker, who I already, you know, spent some time highlighting, you know, anchors the defense for this Houston Rockets team, but everybody else, like, legitimately, this team looked great on the defensive side of the court. And that's even considering the fact that they were running, they didn't run a uh, a true eight-man rotation. Michael Frazier, who is the eighth man off the bench in this one, and we will talk more about the fact that Luke Mbamute and Damari Carroll are still not getting minutes. But Michael Frazier was the eighth man off the bench in this one, and he only logged 11 minutes. So I don't, I barely count that as running a legitimate eight-man rotation. Now, to his credit, to Mike D'Antoni's credit, the starters, nobody played more than 36 minutes. I still probably would have liked them to not play an actual 36 minutes, but considering what he has said before about wanting to get guys in shape, get their legs where they need to be, so that way when they do jump up to the intensity of the playoff atmosphere where they will be playing these heavy minutes, the 36, the 40-plus, 42-plus minutes on certain nights when you really have to eke out a W, that part makes a little bit of sense, but... I do still think it's important that, you know, guys at the end of the bench, you know, Bob Mute, Damari Carroll should be getting a little bit of run. That way they're not, you know, completely fret or, you know, not accustomed to the system, right? Give them a little bit of real-time in-game reps. That way they're not, you know, they haven't gotten any playing time headed into the playoffs when you may very well need them. But specifically, defensively, the Rockets, through four games in the bubble, have posted an 86.3 defensive rating in the fourth quarter so far. So their defense has been honed in down the stretch. Now, obviously, the Portland Trailblazers game is a little bit different because they did not secure the win in that one. But defensively down the stretch, except for that kind of that final sequence of events that led to the game kind of getting away from them, they dug themselves back into the game using their defense in that fourth quarter to catch catch back up in that game. And so this Rockets team, if they can really, you know, actually use defense and make that kind of a focal point of this team, because we look, we know the offense is going to be fine. When you have James Harden, when you have Russell Westbrook, when you have the plethora of shooters that this team has, you know, the offense will be just fine. The issue will always come down to defense and the defensive identity of this team, which is why it feels so great to hear James Harden, who told you know media post game that you know when asked about his his defensive presence here in the bubble, he said that's what's going to win us a championship. 
And that's what's great to hear, is to hear James speak on the defensive side of things, to to see that engagement from him throughout these four games so far. And if he can carry that forward through the remaining seeding games and into the playoffs, look, the Rockets are at the easy part of their seeding schedule, right? This, this stretch that they were on was the harder part of their schedule. Now that they're done with these first four games, and they went 3-1 and one through the first four games, and they lost the one that I kind of thought they were going to lose because it is a trap game with Portland— Up next, they've got the Sacramento Kings on Sunday, followed by the Spurs, the Pacers, and the 76ers. That schedule gets so much easier, so depending on if they want to try and win those four games, or if they want to potentially even tank one or two of them to try and align themselves for some favorable seating, depending on who you want to see in the first round, whether it be the Utah Jazz or the Oklahoma City Thunder or potentially the Denver Nuggets if they you know skate further down in the in the in the standings. However, you want to line things up, they kind of control their destiny because those are some easier teams to beat. I I peg the Rockets as favorites in every single one of those games moving forward whereas the first four games really the only team that you could have argued they were heavy favorites in or should have been heavy favorites in would be against the trailblazers and again that wound up being a trap game that they still lost so all that being said it'll be interesting to see kind of how they play out these next four seeding games and we'll take a look coming up in just a moment about some of the other areas from this game, I'll talk about the Mbamute and Damari Carroll situation regarding Mike D'Antoni and his, I guess, unwillingness to play them, and a few other final thoughts from this one coming up in just one moment. And final segment here at Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Wrapping up our final thoughts on the Rockets 113-97-W against the LA Lakers. And I guess I'll lead things off because I talked about the seeding a little bit in that last segment. Lead things off, if the Rockets win one more game or if the Mavericks lose one more game, they cannot fall to the seventh seed. So one more Rockets win or one more Mavericks lost and the lowest they can go is the sixth seed. So that pretty much guarantees avoiding the Clippers, at least in the first round, which is a huge bonus. Because, no, look, nobody wants to face the Clippers in the first round, and that's basically what the Mavericks are about to be lined up doing. So unless something goes horrifically wrong with the Rockets roster moving forward, they will not have to face the Clippers in the first round. Thank goodness. So with that out of the way, as far as the rotation in this one, the, you know, I went on Twitter and I was like, you know, saying who has money on, you know, Chris Clemens minutes before Luke Mbamute and Damari Carroll. And, and I kind of meant it jokingly, but legitimately, I was worried that somebody would find their way into the rotation ahead of those two guys. And at this point, it's a head scratcher. I don't know why those guys are not getting playing time. It makes zero sense for me from, you know, the Mike D'Antoni angle. Late in the game, when P.J. Tucker took the hand to the face, you know, got hit in the face in the paint and kind of keeled over in pain for a minute. I was worried that he would have like a scratched cornea or something and be be out for a game or two, you know, or, or you know, some stitches required above his head, whatever. And it's moments like that late in a game that really, you know, shouldn't have needed the starters to play this many minutes where I wonder, okay, why are they unable to stretch out the rotation a little bit? There's two more rotation quality guys or guys that can at least soak up some minutes and perform better than Michael Frazier did because Michael Frazier played 11 minutes, was 0 for 3, had committed four fouls, got, you know, got some fouls out of him, but 
largely does not look like he belongs on an NBA basketball court, whether it's, you know, a regular court or a special court in the Orlando Disney bubble. He doesn't look like he belongs out there. Legitimately surprised that he was getting minutes even ahead of Chris Clemens. So with that, I, at this point, I'm at a loss for the rotations by Mike D'Antoni, for the decision-making by him. Again, I think the only rational explanation is that he wants to get the players up to their usual minutes totals. That way, when he does start riding them consistently in the playoffs for these longer games, these longer minutes, uh, these more intense games coming up just around the corner, we are you know a couple weeks away from the first round. That's the only way that I can rationalize it, and I have to rationalize it that way. Other way. Otherwise, I'm going to drive myself crazy trying to figure out why those players are not getting minutes in this lineup. <sighs> so get that rant out of the way. This game, this game bodes well, though. Even though the Lakers didn't have LeBron James and the Rockets were missing two of their key guys, I look forward to a potential Rockets-Lakers matchup because it is very apparent that the Lakers don't have a legitimate third option, at least not one that is consistent. I think that, uh, you know, they look at Kuzma as kind of being that guy, but whether he can consistently be that guy is TBD. The jury is out on that one. And, and I don't think they're going to get that figured out come playoff time. And they're also experiencing the offensive woes. And what better matchup for the Rockets than a team that probably can't keep up with the Rockets' sheer volume of, of offensive efficiency. And look, I know that the Rockets can have some droughts, you know, from behind the arc, you know, 0-27, all that stuff, right? But against this Lakers team, it's basically all LeBron and AD or bust. And I don't know if... LeBron and AD can have enough output across a seven-game series against a Houston Rockets team that is playing some of its best defense that I've ever seen it play. Don't know if they can necessarily take advantage of that because what we heard from Stan Van Gundy a lot during you know his broadcast over the Rockets is that they, they flatten the court a lot with their switching scheme, and that takes teams out of what they normally like to do offensively. And we saw it in the first matchup with the Lakers. They tried to go a lot to Anthony Davis, and it didn't work out. We saw it in this one. They Their offense was just abysmal without LeBron James. But even with LeBron James, their offense has been still, it's still struggling. So this is a team that is maybe, you know, has lost its stride. As, as the Lakers were kind of hitting their stride right before the hiatus kicked in, maybe this is a team that isn't quite in that groove anymore. And look, maybe they find their rhythm, you know, near the end of the eight seeding games or heading into the playoffs, whatever it may be. But I still think this is a more favorable matchup for the Rockets over the Clippers. I still think that is the team that matches up with the Rockets the best. They can play a version of small ball and arguably do it better than the Houston Rockets. And that's what terrifies me about the Clippers. So from the standpoint of the Lakers, whatever it takes to get lined up in the Lakers bracket, I am for that. If it involves tanking some games, if it involves, uh, you know, trying to win out, whatever you got to do to match up with the Lakers bracket, which largely means that four or five bracket, regardless of who the first round opponent is, I think that's absolutely the route the Rockets need to go. So even if that means a first round matchup and a reunion, you know, a, a revenge tour with Chris Paul and the Oklahoma City Thunder, I think it's still worth it to have the Lakers in the second round. Now, one more thought about this game is, and this part matters a little bit less because the Lakers went super deep and the Rockets just didn't and, and didn't have a traditional lineup that they would have out there. But some of the bench minutes from the Rockets, you know, the Rockets went up 18 in this game. That was the largest lead that the Rockets held in this game was 18 points. And at no point did it really, I don't know, at no point did it really feel like they, or sorry, I take that back. It was 19 points. I thought it was 18 points. They had a 19 point lead. 
and it just evaporated because as soon as Harden sat down, the the lead just disappeared because the Lakers went on an insane run and leading into the fourth quarter, there was worry that they were going to actually catch back up and make a game of it. But thankfully, the Rockets were still able to, with with Austin Rivers leading that second unit, finally able to start, you know, passing the ball, getting some decent ball movement and getting some open shots. But when James Harden and Russ aren't out there, which isn't the norm, I know that's not the norm. When they're not out there, things start to look rough. And thankfully, that's not going to be a situation. Hopefully, fingers crossed, knock on wood, moving forward. But still, it's still something to be concerned about that, that for you know, there's other teams in the league that, yeah, they, they go down a player or two and it's just next man up mentality. The system doesn't crater without one of its two stars out there. And largely that's what happens with the Houston system. And it feels like all the way back in the you know very first season with Mike D'Antoni, the 16-17 campaign, where the system was, okay, let's try and win the game with James Harden on the court, and then when James sits down, let's just try not to choke away this lead, right? That team rarely, if ever, built a lead with James Harden on the bench. It was just about having James on the court, you know, being explosive offensively, and then trying not to choke away any lead once he went to sit down for his, you know, his two little short stints on the bench. And that's kind of what this game reminded me of is, you know, James Harden sits down and then suddenly the bench unit just struggles and looks really rough out there. But they were still able to, you know, come away with this one. James checks back in. The Rockets go on another big run and they lock away the game. So, and Anthony Davis didn't even play the back end of the game. It's There's not a lot to read out of this one because the Lakers didn't, you know, take it seriously. Uh, but I still think that this is the better matchup of the two between the Lakers and the Clippers and... You know, look forward to seeing Anthony Davis struggle to score in the post against P.J. Tucker across a potential seven-game series. So I think that's where we're going to leave things off for today. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.